Hello and welcome to another exciting and, you guessed it, jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. I'm Danny Lobel, your host, and today's episode is fantastic. I'm going to talk to one of the most hilarious comedians I know, the wonderful Jenny Zagrino. She's a delight. I, I, you can hear it in my voice every second. I enjoy talking to her. I enjoyed having her over my house. She's hysterical. She's also got a new album out on Stand Up Records called Jay-Z's New Album, Available at StandUpRecords.com, as is my album, The Nicest Boy in Barcelona. But first, I'm excited to tell you guys that we have a returning sponsor here. That's right, they're back for more due to popular demand, or hopefully you guys have been using the service. And if you are, I couldn't be happier because I encourage you. It's a wonderful, wonderful, fantastic service. It's called HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com is the website. And right now they're offering an incredible deal for my listeners. You go to their website, put in promo code MDP30. That's MDP, the number three, the number zero. And you'll get $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use that promo code MDP30. I'm telling you, this service is fantastic. They deliver beautiful, fresh fruit, vegetables, meat, produce to your door with step-by-step instructions on how you can use it to prepare yourself gourmet meals. And it couldn't be easier. The meals are on your table from start to end within 30 minutes, and you feel so accomplished, you eat so well, and there is no waste at the end of it. They just give you the perfect amount of food to make just what you need so nothing is rotting in your cabinet, nothing is making you feel guilty that you're overbuying food and wasting food. And the ingredients are so delicious. They are sourcing the finest, freshest ingredients they possibly can get their hands on. And you can see the difference from what you get in the supermarket. You can taste the difference. And it's delivered to your doorstep in recyclable, insulated boxes. Every meal comes out to less than $10 per meal. It couldn't be any better or any easier. Again, use the promo code MDP30 and get $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh. Dot com. I encourage you to do it. I did it. I got the vegetarian options. You could get the meat options. You can find the meal plan that works best for you, but I'm telling you, the meals were so good, and I felt so good making them at the end of it. It's creative. It's sensual. You feel it. You smell it. You taste it. It's wonderful. It's HelloFresh.com. Use my promo code, your promo code now, MDP30, and get that $30 off your first week of deliveries. Don't miss out on this. And please, if you get a chance, send a tweet or an email to HelloFresh and say thank you for sponsoring this podcast because it's people like that that keep the podcast going and we really need to encourage their support. So please, if you get a chance, because you love the podcast, send a little love to HelloFresh.com for bringing you this podcast because I sincerely and truly appreciate their sponsorship and I'm proud to be bringing you their service. I'm also proud to be telling you about our other sponsor today, StandUpRecords.com. StandUp Records, the brand you know, the brand you love. They've got today's guest's album and my album available for purchase on iTunes, Amazon, and StandUpRecords.com. I'll let them tell you more. Here's a word from StandUp Records. Warning. Last year, over 40,000 Americans died in car-related accidents. Not a pleasant thought, is it? 
In fact, as thoughts go, it's downright depressing. Well, that's where we can help cheer you up. We're StandUpRecords.com, and we offer the finest in CDs, DVDs, downloads, and merchandise from the best comedians on Earth. Artists like Mark Maron, Maria Bamford, Eddie Pepitone, and Doug Stanhope. Available at fine record stores, Amazon.com, and the iTunes Music Store. That's StandUpRecords.com. Come on, listen to us while you're driving. Live dangerously. StandUp Records, the brand you know, the brand you love. Go out there, get The Nicest Boy in Barcelona, my album, and Jenny Zagrino's new album, which is called Jay-Z's new album. (sighs) I hate to do it, but I got to change the tone for a minute and talk about some very somber news. Uh, The passing of my good friend, Ralphie May, was more than a friend to me. He was a mentor. He was an employer. He took me on the road. He provided me with probably my most fun times of my career which also would equate to some of my most fun times of my life. Being on the road with Ralphie May was... It was, it was, I think, the closest I ever got to really tasting what it's like to be in the big time. And not only did I get to do that, but I got to do it with such a generous, kind-hearted, giving, loving, supportive, mentoring person. And there's not enough I could say about Ralphie May right now, and I don't want to get all choked up. So what I'm going to do is I will dedicate an episode to him later this week where I'll replay an old interview I did with him on my old show, and I'll talk more at length about Ralphie and what he meant to me and who he was to me and what that friendship and what that relationship looked like. But but I can't do it now because right now, Well, you know what's interesting? I'm going to take a little detour and tell you that the episode today kind of pays homage to uh, Ralphie in a good way because, you know, Ralphie and I both struggle. Well, I can't say we both do anymore, but we both did struggle with with our weight. And ultimately, a lot of um, what, what did him in at the end was the fact that he was overweight. And today's episode, I talked to the gorgeous, funny, and talented Jenny Zagrino, who also happens to be a little overweight, and we talk a lot about that struggle, so it's kind of an appropriate episode in that way to be coming out right now. And uh, and again, I'll talk more about it when I release later this week my Remembering Ralphie May episode on the feed. But now... Right now, I'm going to bring the tone back up because this is a joyous and fun person who brings incredible energy and funny and delightfulness and, and as I mentioned, light to the room when she walks into it. And I want to get you kind of psyched up for that positivity that only Jenny Zagrino can bring you. So now, without further ado, except, of course, for the intro song, I bring you my talk with the wonderful Jenny Zagrino. Enjoy. Welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. I'm here with the great Jenny Zagrino. Hello. 
Do you want to put this up? Yeah, oh, there, oh, up. there we go. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good. And we've uh, we've podcasted before. We did. Um, I still am not good at money. Yeah, me neither. I was just thinking about that on the way here. I was like, has my finance knowledge improved since that? No. Not I'm not only not good at money, but I'm not even good at putting up that podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, uh, I started a podcast and I have two episodes recorded. I've edited one. The other one I haven't edited yet. This has been like a month. What's it about? It's um, my friend Jen and I, we do a show called The Fillings Mutual. And it's the podcast version where we have um, our friends make us a dish or bring us a dish mm-hmm. that are important to them in some way. And then we talk about oh, it. So like, I like that. So, like, it, it could just be, like, I like nerds candy because my dad used to buy me nerds and my dad was never around or whatever. Uh-huh. Or someone can just be, like, I've made you a creme brulee thing because uh, I had it at a restaurant. and what, So we just talk about it and then figure it out. That's so great. Yeah, but awesome. I haven't done anything. It's, it's a brilliant <laughs> scheme to work food into a podcast, too. Like, you get people to cook for you. Yeah, right? <laughs> Well, one person cooked, and the other one just bought it, which is fine. That's like a top out, I feel. But the problem is, and actually Jackie Cation told me this, and it's true, is like eating on on the microphone can be really irritating to people. So we try to like either eat away from the microphone or like we'll pause it and be like, okay, we're eating it now. And then we come back and be like, well, we ate it. I would I would do like a few minutes, like two or three minutes of eating audio. Of just chomping yeah. noises. Just to just to like sort it like because I feel like the listener would hear it's the joy the if you liked it. <laughs> I hate any like smacking, eating, kissing noises. Oh, <laughs> I, I even I'm like. Well, yeah. I mean, I've had a few people eating on this podcast, and it's annoying to edit it out. And, yeah. But so you get it. But I feel if the point of the podcast is the eating, then then there's an allowance for it in the eating part of the podcast. Well, the point is the story behind the food. <laughs> so it's not the actual chomp, chomp, chomping. But still, I mean, what if you have like a really good soup? You just want to <laughs> slurp that soup loudly, just like a... Just like a, a cat hissing, heavy breathing. I don't know. <laughs> Can I tell you that I was, and I rightly so, was really looking forward to you coming here. Uh, you bring such positive energy. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. Have you always Talking been that about way? Soup. Um, I think so. I think I've always been a pretty positive person. I think so. You're you're like a room brightener. You know, you you brighten up the room. Oh, thank you. you know? I'm, yeah, I'm not. Coming out of left field with this, no, right? I don't you think must so. get this a lot. I just, look. I think I bring a, a pretty joyful energy, except if you're like my immediate family, then I'm like kind of a piece of shit to you. Is that their I, fault? I no, it's not their fault. It's like I think it's kind of like uh, when you're just like with your family, you just be you just uh, either all the baggage shows up with you because mm-hmm. um, I've left my baggage at the door when I came in here, <laughs> but. Uh, so, I don't know. Sometimes, and sometimes I think I'm meaner to my family than I am to like. But everybody friends. kind of regresses a little bit around their family, yeah. right? Yeah. What like do I just th- want my mom to like scratch my back, and she never wants to. That's it. Yeah. That's not so bad. <laughs> She's always like, "No, Jenny, I don't want to," and I'm like, "Mom, please." <laughs> Russian? Yeah. No, she just has a speech she affectation. Just speaks like this. <laughs> She's from Alabama. Um, yeah, like my dad always scratched my back when I was a kid. 
and my mom hated it. So I feel like I'm more closely bonded with my dad. If I recall, your parents divorced, right? Yeah. And when I was young. And then you wound up being raised in like five religions. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> my dad's now back to being a Catholic. He was what? a Catholic, tried to be a Jew, then became Muslim, and now he's back to being a Catholic. Wow, he went the whole Yeah, I was surprised he skipped over Buddhism. I thought that was definitely the next one. Right after Jew, usually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> there are a lot of like Jewish Buddhists out there. Right. But... And- and and you went to um, a camp. What did didn't you go to a? I went to like Hindu camp, and Hindu I went camp. to Jewish camp, and I went to a Christian day camp. Where did that leave you spiritually? Well, uh, empty. I don't know. Really? <laughs> I think. Well, the Jewish camp, we didn't really like. We did the Shabbos, but it was mostly like, you know, it was just still camp. But we like sang Yachad like around a fire. Like, that's <laughs> all we did instead of Kumbaya. It right. was Yachad. And uh, um, at the Hindu camp, it was just like we were so young, so there was no like real teaching of it. I think I would like to get into more of the like Kabbalah spiritualism of Judaism versus like the real like traditional kind of uh, like you have to do it this way, that way, that way. Like I want to learn more of like the the more spirit. It's pretty cool stuff. I've, yeah, that's what I'd like to learn. It. Yeah. Yeah. Did I tell you I'm related to Rashi? No. Oh, yeah. I'm like a direct descendant of Rashi. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm Jewish royalty. <laughs> I have no idea who he is. You don't know who he was? I know who he is, but I don't know anything about him. Well, I think he was rumored to be a winemaker. Yeah. And, and he had he two daughters. From France. Yeah. And he was one of the greatest Jewish minds of all time who wrote philosophical ideas on everything Jewish. Here I am. Yeah. Right? How did you find out that you're a descendant of Rashi? My my grandmother, her last name is Gayatalki, and I think there's some some kind of connection to Itzhak. I forget what it is. That's pretty cool, though. But there's like a direct connection to that. A Rashi relative. Yeah, which is super cool. I remember because I went to this Jewish school when I was in sixth grade. For three months, I went to like a conservative, yeah, pretty conservative Jewish school. And uh, I remember going to the rabbi and being like, uh, I celebrate Christmas. Is that a problem? And he's like, I mean, you do it for your father. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, by the way, uh, I'm related to Rashi. And then he's like, what? And he like, <laughs> everyone in the class was like, oh, my goodness, Rashi. And I was like, I'm a celebrity. <laughs> But now I'm like, uh, I should probably know more about him. Let's <laughs> look him up real quick. I'm going to pull him I up. Know that, so I know that he had $2, and he taught them Torah and Kabbalah, which was, like, unheard of at the time. And he was an 11th century or 12th century scholar. And, uh, and apparently what I heard is the reason why his stuff is, like, so short and succinct is because he just ran out of paper. Like, he just didn't have enough paper so really? he had to like keep all of his translations very short. I thought it was purposely written in code, like so that you'd have to like really unpack it to understand it. I heard it was just because you just ran out of paper. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've all. That's like what I was talking. Could be. His name was Shlomo Yitzchaki. Boom! There you go, guys. Like said, he lived from February twenty second. 
1040 to July 13th, 1105. St. Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he would care. <laughs> He's generally known by the acronym Rashi, which stands for Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki. He was a medieval French rabbi, the author of comprehensive commentary on the Talmud, and, and he was a commentary babe. on the Tan- T- Tanakh. And he had a six-pack. Yeah. Rippling. <laughs> Just muscles like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. That's, that's the next line, actually. <laughs> he had rippling muscles, and on each, on each pack was, uh, was uh, the Ten Commandments. He had a ten-pack. He had a ten-pack of commandments. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. The claim for his ability to present the basic meaning of the text in a concise and lucid fashion, Rashi appeals to both learned scholars and beginner students, and his works remain the centerpiece of contemporary Jewish study. And then, and then, uh, let's see about his personal life. He was an only child, born in Champagne. Because he killed the other one in utero. <laughs> he ate his twin. <laughs> the dark story of Rashi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow, look at this. Did he eat his twin? No. That would have been really great. (laughs) No, I was just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was a 33rd generation descendant of Yohanan Hassan... I don't know how to read these in English. I probably know it in Hebrew. Hassandler. Hassandler. Who's that? Probably a relation of Adam Sandler. Hassandler. <laughs> <laughs> He's related to Adam Sandler? He's so lucky. Maybe that makes you related to Adam Sandler. <laughs> you ought to be able to call in a favor or something. I went he to audition a, at his office. It's super weird. Really? Yeah, it like it looks... I hope he's listening. It looks like a Friday's. Like it's just got shit all over the walls, and like, and his his dog was there and it was snoring the entire like because he's like a bulldog, and just so you're like waiting to go to your audition and it's just like <laughs> from light. You're like, where is that coming from? But he's just like sleeping on the desk, and then there's just like uh, there's a a video game machine and like just shit everywhere on the walls. I'm just like, that, all right, well. That's- Kind of what I would hope it would be like. But yeah, that's like, like all right. He's authentically him. He's authentically him. Happy Madison. Yeah, hundred percent. What was it? A movie or something? Yeah, it was like one of his new Netflix movies. Did you get it? No. Next. Time. It was just as another like. I get, I get, I do a lot of these like weird like sexually starved characters. <laughs> just in general, like I do. I always do like these kind of like they're awkward, you know, big. Um, sexually charged women who, mm-hmm. like, you know, are so awkward about their sexuality and weird about it. So, like, this character was, like, uh, um, was, like, uh, wanted to, like, lick body hair or something weird. Because Because you're plus size, they make the character weird. It's, well, it's, like, it's a plus size character. There's no sexuality to you. There's no, right, like, there's no, like, and I don't mean normal and like normal heterosexual. I mean normal and like there's no normal desires or even like kind of a weird like masturbate alone while, you know, 
looking at, I don't know, a box of Cheetos, like you want to fuck the Cheeto cheetah or mm-hmm. something weird, or you're just like, you don't, it doesn't exist at all. Cause there's this, I, I, my friend said this, it's very interesting that like to being plus size, it, it, um, uh, what's the word? It feminizes you. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you, you're not allowed to like, just have like, I can't like, I'll, I don't get cast for characters who just ha- are like a love interest. Like I'm a weird, like I get, have anal sex in the last two movies I was in. <laughs> We're like, like, uh, but not like in like a, a t- loving couples exploring each Like it's other. kinky or something. <laughs> it's to kinky be, yeah. and weird with strangers, like in a bathroom. It's just like, it's never like a uh, weird, ro- it's never romantic love. It's weird sexual kinks. Yeah, as a as a big guy myself, I know yeah. that anytime, first of all, I think the difference for women, you get to be like this weird sexually starved, as you put it. Yeah. You know, crazy character. For men, they dismiss that there's anything sexual about you at all. Yeah, there's that's just true. no roles for heavy guys in a romantic anything. Yeah. You're just maybe the friend. Yeah. That's or it. you're like, the only one is like Kevin Smith is probably the only one that has yeah. like succeeded. Or Kevin James. Kevin James, yeah. not Kevin Smith. Kevin James. Yeah, he's he's sort of, you know, like Woody Allen did for nerdy guys. Mm-hmm. He did that, but but it's just him. Yeah. It's upsetting. Like I got I got offered this role this week. Yeah. And they're like, We need you for Tosh point oh, um, this this thing. I'm like, Well, what is it? Okay, so you'll be naked and he's going to ride you with a golf club, swinging a golf club. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Why? Because I'm fat. That's why. No, but like, ah, but yeah, uh, Tosh.0, that whole culture around it is so fucking damaging to like, to society. Yeah. I hope he realizes that. I hope he realizes that. I once interviewed him. He seemed like a very sweet, sensitive guy. I think he is, but I think he just knows his market and probably money is great. Yeah. (laughs) But it is horrible. Yeah, I'm um, sorry that they, like, named you with that shit. Nobody ever is an advocate for overweight people because, first of all, everybody overweight is just like, well, I'm only temporarily overweight. Yeah. In their mind. They're like, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting on board with uh, standing up for this community because I'm out of this community at any minute. Yeah, exactly. The minute I can leave, I'm gone. But what I don't... What bothers me the most about it is that it's treated like um, it's treated like you're just somebody who is greedy almost with food. Yeah. Instead of an addiction, which is what it is. It's it's just a drug addiction like any other addiction. Yeah. But it's just sugar is the drug. Yeah. Which is like the di- and then the difference is is that while people go out and seek things like heroin and meth or whatever we were li- like we've been lied to systematically as a culture and sugar's been hidden in everything and it's like this, this is the addiction they want like we're supposed like There's this huge is the addiction companies they want pushing us this to addiction have. on you yeah, always yeah exactly always. so and then it's somebody getting in trouble because those same people who do it also support the diet industry and they make money off it's all a fucking and then, like, <sighs> I, there's always statistics, like, 80% of America is now considered obese or something like yeah. that. So I'm always thinking, all right, good, get up to 100, and then yeah. <laughs> it'll just be normal. <laughs> then Maybe I'll, you'll see me as a person. Uh, then I'll lose the weight, and I'll turn on yeah. the rest of the country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, don't, like, I'm super, like, so I'm doing, like, the this body positive show, and I, like, I'm, like, trying to be, like, 
super body positive and like embracing it. But I also get mad when I see celebrities lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> like I, Melissa McCarthy, I was like, you bitch. You, she, you felt abandoned. I felt abandoned. <laughs> but I also get, I like, I get it. I mean, you know, I get it. Whatever. It's, you know, at the, I think that at the end of the day, we would all be better if we all just stopped commenting. Completely on each other's bodies in any way, and just saw humans as humans. But yeah. that well, it's destructive. Oh, will never happen. Basically, what it, it fuels the addiction. Basically, people yeah. have low self esteem. I mean, I think about this a lot because people who are overweight are food addicts yeah. most of the time, unless it's like a thyroid disorder, in which case, like I'm very jealous of them because they can just get that <laughs> fixed. Yeah. Do you know about Cushing's? Have you heard about Cushing's disease? No. Cushing's disease is um because I was like because my sister thinks I have this. Um, because a lot of it is a lot of it too is like hormonal, which is like thyroid. But um, with Cushing's, it's um, it is a oh, it is an overproduction from um, oh, I forget which hormone it is. But what it does is it rounds your face. A lot of people have like a hump on their back, and it's mostly just in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it it's a hormone imbalance where I forget which hormone stops working and that's like another like a hormone like a lot of it can be but the thing is like a lot of foods are causing hormone imbalances too Mm -hmm. so like all the hormones we get in our meat all the plastics the BPA they're fucking with our hormone system which is in turn fucking with our ability to break down sugars or all this stuff so it's all like absolutely fucking connected so even if you get off the grid of sugar Okay, I can't afford like uh, free range beef. I'm getting the regular beef. I'm still getting pumped full of shitty hormones. Right. I gotta look up what this hormone is. Yeah. <laughs> for a I always was, you know, so many doctors have said, Have you been checked for thyroid? I'm like, Yeah, but check me again. Like, wouldn't that be just great if you could yeah. hit a switch and I'd be fine? Because yeah. I've. But, but oh, it's cor- I. It's I've, cortisol. Cortisol? Cortisol is a stress hormone. So your your uh, adrenalines shoot off cortisol, and cortisol um, automatically makes your like makes your body retain weight. So and it's a stress hormone. So if you're super stressed out, what if this which, is the podcast that changes my life? <laughs> you're like, I have too much cortisol. <laughs> That's what it's been. Cause like, I mean, for me, like I I don't like I don't eat bad and I exercise every day, and it just. This is just what it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know. Yeah. And it can even be that your thyroid is just in the very low range, but still considered normal. But it's in the lower range, so you're still not getting, you know, whatever you need. I lost 43 pounds over the past few months. Which is amazing. Thank you. And you really shouldn't ever, should never feel bad about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and, and people can't tell, which drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, I guess you look a little better. I'm like, oh, they're 43. all pieces of shit. <laughs> Fuck them all. <laughs> you tell but them to go lose 43. Because I have so much to, more to lose in that way, but it's mostly just from cutting sugar out of my diet and things that metabolize into sugar. Yeah. And it's, and it's crazy when you actually, like, educate yourself about food. Yeah. And, like, I started looking at food as a science and sugar as a drug. Yeah. And then you go to the supermarket and you realize you're basically just in like an opium lounge. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's all drugs. And they just pump everybody full of drugs in this country. And whether or not it affects them in terms of weight, it doesn't even matter. It affects their brain. Yeah. It affects how cloudy they're able to process things. And 
when you get that sugar out of your system, you, for me anyway, I feel like my whole mind opens up more yeah. than just losing weight. It's like all of a sudden I figure out the, the answers to life. <laughs> it's true. Like it like go like detoxifying in that, like when I got rid of like everything, like carbs, alcohol, even like I wasn't eating like mushrooms or like carrots or stuff. It's just like you get so much clearer. And it's and you crazy. Just, then you then you're like, oh my god, I know too much. I gotta eat something. <laughs> the secrets. Oh no, I can't handle it. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. But um, whatever. We're gonna, we're gonna make it through. But I work. We're, at- gonna, we're gonna change. We'll just change the narrative. Just make shit that, you know, that yeah. we want to make. That's the problem. Is you just gotta make your own shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. You have to really pave your own way. And, and yeah. I heard this interesting thing just about um, not this guy. I heard this this rabbi I know was talking about this guy who had a disciple, and he went to get into a meeting with somebody, and there was this long line, and the guy said, "Wait in line." And they said, "I'm not." And this guy says, "The guy who has a disciple says, I'm yeah. not someone who should have to wait in a line," and. He gives a writes a piece of paper. It was a rabbi they were going to go see. He writes down something on a piece of paper and says, hand this to him. And then they go, sir, come right through. And he cuts the whole line. He goes in for like an hour and a half meeting. Yeah. And so he comes out and the disciple asks him, he's like, what did you write? He goes, it doesn't matter what I wrote because you shouldn't be looking. He, he goes, why do you want to know? He says, because I want to know how to like unlock these doors for myself. Yeah. And he goes, Everyone has to make their own keys. He goes, it doesn't matter what I wrote, because what I wrote might not work for you. It might actually hurt you. He said, oh. "He said, if you're my disciple, you shouldn't be trying to be like me. You should try to be like you. Be your own original thing. Yeah. And, and figure out how to make your own keys to unlock doors, because that's not the point of, of being someone's disciple. You're not supposed to try and become a carbon copy of them. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. That's really, and especially... In this town, that's really great advice. Because I think is that it's almost like, you know, the pow- the, the gatekeepers and power holders, they, they are never looking to change. They need to see it happen, and then mm-hmm. they'll grab onto it. Yeah, but you know what? It's kind of the best way. I used to kind of resent that because I'd think, oh, you know, why can't they just be more visionary and, and see things the way I see it? Like, why should I have to play the naked guy who... Somebody rides with a golf club, yeah. or you should be like the person who likes likes it in the butt all the time. Yeah. Why can't Why can't we change Why can't they change the narrative? But they're not the visionaries. Yeah. They're not the creative people. They're They're just there to sell. Art. Yeah. They're not artists themselves. So it was never supposed to be that way. It was always supposed to be that we're the artists and we're supposed to make the art for them to sell. They can't. They don't have the 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 clarity. To see art because they don't have an artist's mind. Yeah. So you can't rely on them to have that kind of, to be an artist. Otherwise, they should just be the artist. Exactly. You know. Exactly. They they need us, and we are like we're this. We are the change. We just have to keep doing what we're doing and stop looking to like because I've you know done that where I've looked at like Amy Schumer mm-hmm. and been like how do I get what she has? Mm-hmm. And I'm like I'm never gonna get what she has. Yeah. I'm not her. I don't want to be her. The things that she does, I'm not interested in. So what do I want? I started thinking of 
everybody else as a comedian and me yeah. as my own thing. Because it, it helped me, like, instead of comparing myself to, like, this person's doing this or that person's doing that. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not any of that. I'm doing something totally different than them. Yeah. You could call it all comedy, but what I'm doing is different in my head. So everybody else can be part of that industry. I'm in an industry of my own. And it kind of made me feel more yeah. secure with what I'm doing. I'm like, everything I'm doing is just, I'm not even going to call it comedian anymore in my head. It's just like, these are a series of projects that I put together. Yeah. And you may call them comedy because they're funny. They have that in common. But other, otherwise, I'm just an artist creating different kinds of art. Yeah. So it's perfect. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good philosophy <laughs> to bring it back to <laughs> modern day philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Because it makes me feel better for sure. Because yeah. if I consider myself in the same industry as some of these people, I'm really <laughs> failing. <laughs> I, you know, for a long time I was comparing myself. I was like comparing myself to my friends. Uh-huh. And I, the thing is, is like I would have to remind myself, like, um, like I would see, like, one of my friends do really well. And as much as I support them, I'd be like, oh man, I want that. And then I'd be like, Jenny, um, you're not like a, you're not a young black man. Like, it's say that friend. So you're never, you're never to get what that person gets, or you're not a, you know, trans lesbian. Like, you're not mm-hmm. any of what those people are. So why would you think you would get the same thing they get? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're gonna get what you're going to get, and it's going to happen. You just get to like. It's just like, you know the steps and all the hard work to do it. It just sucks to do the hard work. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in it, you forget you're doing the hard It's like, it is like that gym. Like once you're there, you're like, oh, I love this. Yeah. And then, but that's, it's been, it's getting your body in the car to go to the gym is like the worst part of the gym. It's true. Yeah. And then once you're there, I'm like, oh, I can run forever. It's funny because like. I, I was going to bring it up before, but I work once a week in a rehab with kids who have drug yeah. addictions. And I do a podcast with them that no one's ever allowed to hear because it's confidential. Yeah. But it's I talk to these kids, and we just talk about life and talk about addiction. And it's sort of been really – the funny thing is it's almost my rehab as well. Yeah. Like, I'm rehabilitating with them. And the, the kids come and go, but I feel like I'm the luckiest one because I get to stay in rehab. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> – and and it's crazy because it's it's made me really think a lot about addiction and i've started changing the narrative in my head first of all i'm not i don't shame myself in any way about being overweight anymore yeah because it's it's destructive and it's a negative way to think and yeah. putting yourself down just it just hurts and it's useless it's a waste of mental energy so yeah. i stopped doing that and then i started approaching this as my own physician dealing with myself as an addict in yeah. my own clinic that I run. And I realized something, and I, and I realized it for all the kids there and for me, what addiction really is, is people with amazing imaginations who don't know how to control them. Yeah. And it kind of comes back to the gym. This is why you reminded me, because I was telling them, I was telling this one kid, like basically she – um, thinks that she's floating around the room all the time. Yeah. Not everybody there is for drug use, but she. But I was telling everybody that it's your imagination. Then afterwards, she comes up to me after the podcast, and she's like, um, so I have this thing where I feel like disconnected from my body, and I always feel like I'm floating around the room. How does yeah. that apply to imagination? I'm like, that's totally imagination, because basically, like, think of the imagination as a muscle. And if you go to a gym, 
you see somebody lifting weights. Yeah. They're lifting really heavy weights. That's not their first time lifting weights. Nobody thinks that, right? Yeah. You know that they worked up to it by lifting a little bit, a little bit more, and then they could lift heavy weights. So basically your imagination is like an untamed horse that's like a great horse, but is running around like crazy. Yeah. And now it's making you think you're floating around the whole room. Yeah. But if you could use your harness, that horse, and just like bring it in like you're lifting small weights and be like, I'm in this spot in the room for, for 30 seconds right now, and then I'll let myself float around. Yeah. And I'm like, can you do that? She's like, yeah. I said, so then start with that, then build it up to a minute, then build it up longer and longer. And eventually you'll have control of the imagination. But I think these kids are like the X-Men, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think it, I think a lot of, because you're, it's self, it's soothing. It's you're self-soothing yourself with a lot of these drugs. Sometimes you're just like, look, sometimes you do coke because you're at a party and that's just what you're doing. But. I don't think so. You don't I really, think so? No, because. You know why you're doing it? First of all, with Coke, I think it, it's just about feeling powerful. Yeah. And, um, and, and people who are, have low self-esteem or are afraid to have the confidence they want to have. Yeah. That's the other thing I told these kids that relates to a gym. Sorry. I'm yeah, just, no, no, no. This, no, is go like, ahead. this is all that goes yeah. through my head a lot these days. So, um, again, like everybody who's an addict, I think, has these amazing overactive imaginations that that have gone out of control because most people don't have such amazing imaginations. They don't have to worry about controlling them. Yeah. But why I thought about how almost everyone we know in comedy is an addict of something or another. And and the reason is because there are creative people who are making things with their imaginations all the time. So it's very hard to control a powerful imagination. Yeah. So I was telling this kid, like basically um, why do you like to do drugs? And, and he, he was like a heroin user. And he's like, I love like my, my brain takes me to these amazing places and like other realms and universes. And it's just like, it's awesome. I'm like, but that is your imagination. And basically when I was a kid, there were these exercise machines that you just hook yeah. them to your muscles and you don't have to do any of the work. Oh, it's the electrolysis. I remember. remember. Yeah. And I always thought that's that's the future of exercise when I was a kid because nobody's going to want to do the work anymore. They'll just, yeah. hook, but it never took off. And then I was like, I, I get why, because it'll never make you into like a bodybuilder. It can maybe tone you a little bit. Yeah. But if you really want to reach greatness physically, you have to do it yourself. And I'm like, basically, you're using that machine that stimulates your muscles to access your own imagination. But if you would harness your own imagination yourself, you could go to those places without drugs and go even farther. Yeah. Because you'd be exploring. Then you're Tim Burton or something. You know, you're like, I don't know if he's on drugs or not, but <laughs> but <laughs> he might not be the best example. But I think some people are doing it the lazy way to get into their imagination. They're like, yeah, I'm just going to take the quick route into my own brain. Well, I mean. Yeah, something like Coke is like building your, that's like a definitely a confidence booster. But if they built their own confidence by therapy, by yeah. making themselves feel, but then they wouldn't need Coke. They'd never want it. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I've, only done, I've only done Coke once. I've only done it once. I didn't like it. Guys, don't do it. But, but why did you do it? Because I'd never done it. Just because of that. Yeah. Well, that's I'd different. never done that's it. Like- and I was like, well, I guess I got to try it at some point. That's just curiosity. Yeah, and I did it, and I was like, ugh. Yeah. It's like I, like whatever whatever good thing I felt, which was nothing. I just like 
was angry. So <laughs> I was like, all right, this is it. Clearly is not for me. This is fine. I'm very much into like, I love mushrooms, like hallucinogenic. Like uh, I went into the sequoia and did some and had like some, I feel like stuff like that I use very much like, okay, I'm having, I'm stuck and I want to have a breakthrough. And, uh, and being like in nature and like feeling that and then just like having that, next level spirituality which actually they're finding they're doing like with um what's the chemical in it mm, micros it's, uh, micro, it's whatever the chemical is they're doing it in like microdoses mm-hmm. to help treat depression and they're finding it helping like a lot with people yeah but i feel like again i tr- i have i suffer from really bad depression on yeah. and off but i've become so much better at Managing and managing like, it now. Yeah. Like I, I relapse every now and then, but and people who listen to the podcast know it because I I'm very honest and yeah. about it. I I'll go on the air depressed and talk to them, and then I yeah. I'm embarrassed when I listen back. Well, I mean, I don't think you should be embarrassed. I think uh, I think it's it is a it's an overactive. I'm not saying that it always is, but it is. It's that overactive like imagination where, but rather than imagining all the great possibilities your brain is just stuck in the negative, right. all the horrible possibilities. You're thinking of like all the, it's imagined all the bad things that could happen or will happen or whatever it is. And it's just, I don't know why the brain, I would love to know the chemical reason why the brain, it is so much easier for your brain to, to harp no on negative. negative versus like for every negative thing you hear, you have to hear like three positive things just to, just to like counteract it. My theory is still that it's just because of like if the imagination's a muscle it's a weak muscle so it can yeah. s- when when you're weak you can't resist being pulled into negative stuff yeah. or whatever but when you're strong you could fight through anything so why is it so strong why is the negative so strong negative strong um because it's easier yeah isn't why is it easy it, like what in our brain it, is making that chemical path so easy to go to that that's a good question i think it <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 trying to really think about it. I I don't want to just say something to say yeah. something. But I think anything that's good is harder. And anything that's bad is easier like in anything in life. I think Yeah. The more challenging like even with I was showing you around this house because I know that you and I have the same yeah. hobby of collecting uh, cool stuff yeah. at thrift shops and stuff like that. So, but to build up a house and make it nice is hard. But if you come in and it's and it's just crappy and you want to live in it crappy, that's easy. Yeah. And it's also not, to yeah. like build your body up is hard. But to just like let it not be built up is easy. Like every time negative is easy. Like going downhill is easy. Going uphill is hard. Yeah. So going down is always easy. Easy, I think, because of gravity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gravity's the answer. Gravity's okay. the enemy. Gravity's the answer. <laughs> All right, let's do this philosopher. <laughs> All right. The philosopher that Alex picked out for you is Hans George Gadamer. I think that's how to say is it. Is he a German philosopher? I, it's uh, Hans. Hans? <laughs> Hans George Gadamer. Um, you know what's funny? Like, I have this friend who uh, who goes to the temple with me. He's yeah. a he's a Holocaust survivor, and 
he he comes to my shows. Yeah. And he's from you know he's from Germany. Yeah. And he he told me he's like I have a cousin who's passed away, but he was one of the great comedians of Germany before the war, and then he went to the camps and he survived, and afterward German governments and everyone felt so bad that they gave him the number one time slot of a show in German television. <laughs> and <laughs> after they killed his family and everything. Isn't that the worst plan for your career? Ah, my <laughs> wife is dead, but you know, I have an Emmy, so. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, sorry for killing your whole family. How would you like to be on NBC? <laughs> So, yeah, you're on SNL. <laughs> so they gave him like this this show and he was he became like the most popular guy after the war um until he died. He was and He's he, Jewish? He was Jewish. And That's he so said crazy. you can find his stuff on YouTube. I haven't looked it up yet, but he goes his gimmick was that he never cracked a smile. I'm like, "Of course, a <laughs> German." <laughs> Maybe cuz every day he was just dying inside. Yeah. All the memories. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Awful. <laughs> and I'm like, what was his name? Then he goes, his name was Fritz Bencher. <laughs> and Fritz I just love that name. Bencher. I'm going to look this guy up. Fritz Bencher. <laughs> I got I to gotta look him up too. His gimmick was that he never smiled or laughed and cried constantly. It's <laughs> 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 terrible. <laughs> His gimmick is that he had flashbacks to pain <laughs> and torture. He would start screaming in the middle of the X. The audience loved it. <laughs> okay, so okay. this is what you have in common with Hans George Gadamer. Okay. Because he says, he writes, because Jenny's album, Jay Z's new album, has a double meaning. I picked a philosopher of meaning. Ooh. Okay. So, so here's a little bit about. Hans George. He's um, a modern. He's modern. He is modern. Yeah, he lived. He's, you're right. He's German. He lived from February 11th, 1900, until March 13th, 2002. He's definitely an Aquarius. <laughs> How do you know? Because I know. <laughs> is it February? February. February is Aquarius. Yeah. Like end of January to February. Uh, you know all of the zodiac signs and stuff. I'm a little bit enough. Enough. Do you believe in it? I mean, I I don't know if it's exactly the stars, but I feel like, you know, the time the time you're born, definitely like if it's cold outside, if it's hot outside, what was going on during that time probably has something to do with it. Interesting. Your first experience of the world dictates yeah. a lot about you. You're yeah, saying. like it was cold when I was born all the time. So really? Yeah, it was January. In, in Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. It's fucking cold. Wow. So, you know, people were born in August and not born during a hot month. It bugs me because my mom doesn't know when I was born time of day. Really? I'm o- I'm always Do you have a- your birth certificate? No, I got to get it. Yeah. It would say it, right? Yeah, my mom, my mom was wrong about mine, so all my astrology charts were off. Wow. I was very upset about it. So you were living the wrong I thought life. I was born at, yeah, I was born at 9 a.m., but it turns out I was born at uh, noon, hmm. which shifted my charts over. I bet I was born at night. I, I'm always a night person, so yeah. Yeah, maybe I feel like I started off then. My clock has been off since then. 
All right, let's hear about Hans. Okay. Uh, he was a German philosopher of the continental tradition, best known for his 1960 magnum opus, Truth and Method, on hermeneutics. Uh, he was born in Marburg, Germany, the son of Johannes Gadamer, a pharmaceutical chemistry professor who later also served as the rector of the University of Marburg. He resisted his father's urgings to take up the natural sciences and became more and more interested in the humanities. His mother, Emma Caroline Johanna Gies, died of diabetes while Hans George was four years old. And he later noted that this may have had an effect on his decision not to pursue scientific studies. I wonder where, anytime you hear about this... uh, Time period in Germany, you gotta wonder: Was this guy a Nazi? I know that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I was like, "When does he tell me he was a Nazi?" <laughs> All right, I'm gonna keep reading. Jean Grodin describes mm-hmm. Gadamer as finding in his mother a poetic and almost religious counterpart to the iron fist of his father. Gadamer did not serve during World War One for reasons of ill health, and similarly was exempted from serving in during World War Two due to polio. Got out of it with polio. He got a polio? Di- <laughs> he had polio, and he dodged the world wars with, oh, with illness. Oh, he polio. Well, I'm right now Googling whether or not he was a Nazi. Okay. Looks like he was wrongly accused of being a... a um, of a Nazi? Uh, not of being a Nazi, but being a sympathizer. I already believe the people that think he was a sympathizer. I bet, well, you know, it's I'm, hard, I'm it's hard to not to be sympathetic with the Nazis. <laughs> I mean, after all, they launched the career of Fritz Bencher. <laughs> Get me out of this hell! Who reps you? The Nazis. <laughs> he grew up and studied classics and philosophy in the University of Breslau under Richard Hogginswald, but soon moved back to University of Marburg to study with neo-Kantian philosophers Paul I don't think these names will mean anything to us. Natrob and Nikolai Hartmann. He defended his dissertation, The Essence of Pleasure, according to Plato's Dialogues. Ooh. Shortly thereafter, he moved to... And it just goes on and on. What is the essence of pleasure? The essence of... It's, there's a spot. <laughs> <laughs> there's a place where pleasure happens. Tis <laughs> the essence of pleasure. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's essentially it. Uh, here, the level of his involvement with the Nazis has been disputed in the works of Richard Wollen and Teresa Orozco. Orozco alleges that, with reference to God's published works, that Gadamer had supported the Nazis more than scholars and supposed. Gadamer's scholars have rejected these. Assertions. Jean Grondin said that Orzoko is engaged in a witch hunt, urging there's no trace of anti Semitism in his work. Maintained Except the a essay entitled uh, I Hate Jews. <laughs> or, or it's just Jews, not really for me. <laughs> <laughs> not my type. Jews, I don't know. They're not my favorite. Yeah. Okay? Look, if I have to choose a desert-dwelling culture... sympathizing. (laughs) (laughs) He's not exactly anti-Semitic, but Jews, I could live without them. (laughs) 
right. What's next? Um. All right. So. So he is. So he's. He does meaning. Okay. So I'm gonna now. I read. <laughs> now I read. Now I read. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm gonna. I'll give it to you for a package. I'll read you a okay. summary on on. Can I read it in a German accent? Of course. Okay. Cool. I encourage it. Our time period shapes our minds. This is a summary of what he says. Our time period. Didn't I shape- just say that on astrology? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I am a Nazi. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> you let me into your house. <laughs> what if there was a podcast following the war, but it was like the secret agenda to find out who was a hiding Nazi? Who was a Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> I've been invited to be on a podcast called Are You a Nazi? Do you think they're going to see if I'm a Nazi or not? <laughs> Leaves a shoulder strap at home. <laughs> you know, it would have to be like a name that's like more in, like all about kraut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's innocent. It's just all about kraut. Yeah, we just are talking about sauerkraut. <laughs> it's like your show. You have to prepare kraut for the host, and they try it. <laughs> oh, this kraut is delicious. So, what rank were you? <laughs> 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 our time period shapes our minds. By the way, that line could also be an excuse for like being a Nazi. Yeah, exactly. He's totally admitting he's anti-Semitic. <laughs> Building walls that guide how we see the world. Many say we should try to destroy these prejudices because they limit our understanding. Gadamar says we need them to guide our vision or we could not interpret at all. Interpretation of text involves a fusion of horizons. The text and its reader were both shaped by their time. Interpreting a text correctly does not mean getting exactly what that author intended. I agree with that. You know, people often criticize this show and saying like, well, you guys are interpreting these philosophers and you're not getting it right. I'm like, there is no getting it right. It's philosophy. Yeah, you just get something out of it. It's not, we may not get exactly what they meant, but we still discovered something. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that line. I'll read it again. Interpretation of text involves a fusion of horizons. The text and its reader were both shaped by their time. Interpreting a text correctly does not mean getting exactly what the author intended. It is about fully understanding the meeting you are having with his mind. We too often think of understanding as, did you get it or not? The question should be, did you and the text have a dialogue? Boom. I, I totally, like that. Yeah. I get, I feel, I, I like this guy. I like this guy because I am this guy. <laughs> a Nazi? That's right. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> You've been a sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> the reader can never fully understand the text, but that is not the point. Interpretation is not like a test, but rather a discussion. I totally agree with that. I Yeah, I fully agree. Here we are. Two nice Jews agreeing with a Nazi. Right? Well, sometimes... A Nazi sympathizer. Sometimes they have good ideas. 
What if he was like just those really... highways were great. The auto the autobahn the the highways. What highway? They built a lot of really. Oh, the Nazis. Yeah, did a lot of great infrastructure. To, <laughs> what to if their what if a Nazi sympathizer was just somebody who was like. I just feel bad for them. <sighs> Poor Nazis. They lost. <laughs> I always feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like what they were doing, but that's not the point. I just, <laughs> like, I'll, it's sad, you know? Yeah, you know, those <laughs> uniforms look so good. I just, I just. What if it's like uh, someone who's like, they had such potential for good? I'm sure there are. You know, that's, I like, that's, yes, I think that exists. I think people like that exist even now when bad stuff happens. Because I think naturally people just want, everyone's just doing their best and living with the best of intentions and people want to believe in good. But some people are just evil. But are those people also trying to be good? I think they're they're still doing the, the best of their intentions. I had a, in school, the guy, you know Avid, the editing system? Yeah. We had like the creator of Avid come in to like talk no to way us. bob Abbott. yeah bob Abbott. so um he came in and he did said he's like it's very real it's just like look everyone does everything with the best of intention whether or not it's good for you it's an intention for them so like even hitler was like i will make the world better mm-hmm. if i get rid of this 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 and this now you know it wasn't good in the end, but for him, it was the best of intention. He tried. He, he tried, tried his best. <laughs> we all do things with the best of intention. It's just, ne- it's just is it intention, a good intention or mm-hmm. a bad intention? It's the best for whoever's doing it. But mm-hmm. So, yeah, like if you're like, oh, I want to, you know. Another guy with an out-of-control imagination, really, because it could go really bad. It, it could, could go really bad. Like an imagination, everybody always thinks of it as a good thing. Yeah. But it could also be a really bad thing. Everything that happened in the Holocaust, he imagined it before. Yeah. I mean, an imagination. I wonder if he just was like, was like in his head, he's like, well, I'd rather do them just leave. And someone's like, we can just kill him. And he's like, really? <laughs> so Wait, really I have that, that much power? So that guy I mean, is the real Hitler? <laughs> I don't know. Where he's just like, I don't know. He was, he, he's alive in Argentina somewhere. So. Still. <laughs> do you think that he died? Did he poison himself or he went to Argentina? I think it's much more likely that he didn't die. Yeah, probably. Because he had the entire German army behind him. If anybody could escape and get away to Argentina, why do we accept that all these low-level Nazis were able to do it, but he wasn't? Yeah. It's yeah. Cr- it's crazy to think that, you know... What if that was your neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh, this guy he's moved in from Germany. With flowers. Hi, <laughs> hello. I'm pretty sure that's Hitler. <laughs> Just don't say anything. Don't the flowers look beautiful today? <laughs> They're so bright. We used to have flowers like this back in uh, Ireland. Where Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm Irish. But if he shaved off the mustache, <laughs> I bet it'd be pretty hard to tell. Yeah. That was the only recognizable feature he had. Yeah. Well, I mean, his overall face. Was you you of just take disturbed. pictures of him and you have like a little sharpie and you keep adding it and you're like, look, it's him. <laughs> My grandfather rocked that mustache. Really? Until the day he died. Really? Yeah. On your mother's side or your father's side? My mother's. Side? My Russian. So, yeah, like he had it and then it just like, I think it was a little bit wider, but it was definitely. It was in Hitler range? Yeah. 
Yeah, it wasn't that. But that might have been just like a Jewish empowerment thing. Like, I'm not losing this mustache and my family. (laughs) I think so. He fought in the war. He deserved it. He could have whatever he wanted. Does your mom make Russian food? She does. I love Russian food. Borscht a lot. A lot of cabbage soup. Yeah, there's a lot. And then occasionally she'll like, she's not like, like super motherly and that like she cooked dinner every night. It was just like, eh, whatever. But then occasionally she'll like, you know, I come I come home and she's like, I made cutlet for you, cutletki, I have pirog for you, I have, I go to the Russian store, I get salam. Like, we eat a lot of pork, <laughs> I will say. Because it's like, mm-hmm. it's funny too, is like if you're a Russian Jew, then you def- like if you're definitely like eating that pork. Because it was like. It's cultural. Russian. Yeah, it's so cultural. Yeah. So she goes and gets like my favorite salami. She goes and gets like my favorite smoked Gouda cheese. And just like, and then we just have like a little Russian party. <laughs> just all, you and your mom? All the pickles. All the pickles. Mmm. Oh, I love it. Everybody loves a pickle. Yeah, right? Um, so that was it uh, okay. for this paragraph, by the way. Sorry about the bad transition. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last thing is just the reader can never fully understand the text. It's not the point. Interpretation is not like a test, but rather a discussion, which is kind of summing up what this show is, yeah. I think. Wait. What I'm trying to do here is just a discussion. It's not a test. Yeah. So with that, would you kindly read this paragraph under where it says paragraph? Yes. Okay. Um, do you want me to read this part? Note in this context. Okay. Um, Note. Yeah, whatever's there. In this context, abstraction means the ability to see the bigger picture. And I'll do this in my best German accent for you. All right. It is the nature of human beings to <laughs> believe great. that we are the universal self-aware being without subjectivity. Whoever abandons himself to particular is considered uniformed. What? Wait, whoever what? <laughs> whoever abandons himself to oh, particularity is considered uninformed. Mm-hmm. The man who believes himself totally objective lacks the power of abstraction. He cannot turn his gaze from himself towards his history. From which his own, <laughs> I should just do my, I don't know, I'm going okay. to, I'm sticking to this German. From which his own particular being is determined. Understanding does not occur when we try to intercept what someone says by claiming we already know it. Understanding does not occur when we try to intercept what someone says by claiming we already know it. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, why? Well, it's just like. That's because that's uh, understanding is communication and listening. So when you intercept when someone is trying to um, explain something, or whatever, saying, "Oh, oh, but I know you're not. You don't really know," mm-hmm. because however they could say it is probably different than what you've already, whatever you have already interpreted in your mind, right? Yeah, I mean, you're already putting your own thing on what they're saying. Yeah, right? so you're not actually understanding or listening to them. I like this. He cannot turn his gaze from himself towards his history, from which his own particular being is determined. Yeah, he he's so wrapped up in his own definitions of reality based yeah. on his life and his own thing that he can't turn and look at something new. Yeah. So the man who believes himself totally objective lacks the power of abstraction, and abstraction this means the bigger picture. So a guy who says, I really, I have no opinion on anything, 
lacks the power to actually see everything. Yeah. Which I, I think, okay. Well, here, here's you know, a quote. I, I used to feel like I had no opinion on anything. Like going back, going back maybe like seven years ago, I, it really bothered me because as a comic, I was like, I'm, I really yeah. have nothing to say at that point. I felt like, you know, I was writing jokes, but I was just like, I don't really have an opinion on anything because I don't really understand anything. Yeah. And as I sort of started exploring, the, the scariest part of it is exploring it all because you don't know what you're going to think about different things. Yeah. And you, and and it's hard to grasp concepts, and it's a, it's scary. Like, oh, I'm not. I remember a point when I thought, I don't get anything. Everybody gets everything. I don't get anything. Yeah. So how can I have an opinion on it? But Do you feel like it was a fear thing that you would maybe, if you tried to understand it, people would think you were stupid? Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I thought I was stupid. I definitely thought I was stupid for a while. Like, not stupid, stupid, but a little dim. Yeah, I think I think that is the fear of, of saying something and having someone say, well, you're wrong and you're stupid for it. I grew up like right at the beginning of ADD and I, I was told like you have a learning disability and they used to give me Ritalin and I'd spit it out in the bushes. And I think my dad thought that I was a little bit like mentally challenged because they didn't know what a learning disability was. Yeah. And I had to go to special classes for a while in the resource room. Yeah. And I did start to believe I was just a dumb kid, you yeah. know, and it carried over into my like young adulthood. And I was afraid to explore ideas because I was like, I'm just not going to get them. So, and then I finally was like, all right, let me try. And then over the last, you know, especially since I started this show three years ago, I really realized, oh, there are no ideas that you can't get. It's just sometimes written in code and you have to unpack it. But I had this conversation with my dad about just like deeper meaning where I'm not... I'm not very interested in deeper meaning. Like, I feel like him and my sister can talk for hours about philosophy and deep conversation and all this stuff, and it just never interested me. And I always felt stupid for it. Like, Uh that somehow I was dumb because I didn't want to have a drawn-out long conversation about the meaning of life and why we're here. My thing now is I would just rather be living it and gather my meaning from that than to sit here, not live life, but discuss life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I used to have that same thought process. I don't know. You're saying you still do? or? I mean, I, now I feel like it's not that I think I'm accepting that I'm not dumb for not wanting to discuss the meaning of life or wanting to, you know, go on this grand search for this deeper meaning. I think that I'm just, I find my meaning through the tangible, through being able to touch and being able to see and experience. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not learning. So some people really find that learning through a book on philosophy where I'm like, I'm going to go on a hike Mm -hmm. in the mountains. And that to me is the same as like reading a book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm going to tell you what I think, and it's I don't fully agree that with I'm you. wrong. <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't think you're wrong, but I think I think I have more to add to it. Okay. Because um, I 100% used to think that way, and looking back, I think it's because I was afraid of doing the work of the reading stuff. I don't know yeah. if this is true to you, but for me, that's what it was. It was kind of like I I used to like to build things without reading the instructions too. Like, let me just get get into it. Yeah. And then what I found is that. Like the the conversations, I think there's there's two camps. 
three camps of people. Yeah. There's people who are just into the books and learning it and not experiencing life, and that is a waste. Yeah. Because you're just pretty much experiencing other people's experience of life by discussing it. Yeah. And you're not getting your own. And then there's people who I think are more in your camp right now that are just out there experiencing and they're like, I don't have time for other people's interpretation of experience. I'm going to experience myself. Yeah. But then the third is a balance. And I think that's the best where it's like, all right, I'm going to read the instructions to the to some extent. Which is yeah. what, this is me now. Like, I, I won't read the whole instructions. I'm just like, let me browse over it in case there's anything here that would surprise me. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll be like, oh, I wouldn't have thought that that has to go in that way. I would have had to undo the the whole piece of furniture and put it back together. Yeah. And that's how I was going through life for a long time. Like, I was just kind of like, oh, man, I could have, if I would have just kind of read the instructions a little bit, the last five years, I wouldn't have to undo and <laughs> redo. Yeah, it's almost like the cliff notes. Like, get the cliff notes and then figure it out. I want to read these quotes. Okay. Okay. Here's a quote. Um, we cannot understand without wanting to let something be said. Hmm. I feel like I need to know what the context of that quote was. Let's just uh, interpret it as it is. We cannot understand without wanting to let something be said. We cannot understand without wanting to let something be said. So I guess that our understanding comes from our from us adding to it. Maybe? Well, wanting something to be said. I get it. What? Okay, so it goes back to the paragraph you were talking about. Like, yeah. if you're not listening to other people when they talk because you're too wrapped up into yourself and your own interpretation of life, then you can't understand anything because you haven't opened yourself up to what they're saying. So unless you want people to say things to you, you'll never understand anything. I think that's mm-hmm. what the quote is saying. Like, if you don't want, like what I was saying about the, the reading the instructions, like a little bit, just figuring yeah. out. So you're not going in cold. I don't know how you took it, and I, I'm not trying to figure out how you took it. But I'm saying, like, if you wanted to hear a different perspective, yeah, that m- might be a good piece of advice. But if you're like, look, I got this. I like the way I'm doing it. It's working out fine for me. I'm not. You're not changing my mind at all. Then you're not. You can't understand what I'm where I'm coming from because you don't want to let things be said. Yeah. So this is not. You know, me trying to figure out how you took it, but I'm just trying to explain the quote in terms of understanding. I think in order to ever understand or, or open up your mind about something, you have to want the other person to let them in. You yeah. have to want them to speak. Yeah. Okay. I get that. All right. The philosopher must be aware of the tension between what he claims to achieve and the reality in which he finds himself. That's, I mean, that to me feels pretty self-explanatory of like uh, the tension of, uh, you know, you're a big talker, but what's your reality? Where are you really? You're talking a big game, but are you practicing your big game? Are you living in the reality of what you're actually talking about? Yeah. Like for, I also too, I think maybe at another level of like, you may be saying, okay, well, I want as, as a, some kind of philosophy of like, um, this must exist, but if the reality is that that cannot exist in that society or in an environment, then there's that tension. 
Can you read it one more time for me? The philosopher must be aware of the tension between what he claims to achieve and the reality in which he finds himself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you I think you pretty much nailed yeah. it. Just, just you know, don't be a dick. Rewrite it. Don't be a dick. I did it. I rashied that shit. Um, <laughs> art expresses something that is a discovery, something previously concealed. To understand what art says to us is therefore a self encounter. Yeah, that's kind of what he was saying about it. What I was saying this show is it's like we're looking at a painting, you know. Yeah. We don't have to know exactly what the philosopher means. We're, we're interpreting it ourselves. It's that's art. That's writing is art. But is that 140 characters? <laughs> Can I tweet this? <laughs> you know, there's somebody who's tweeting philosophy quotes uh, out there. And what's their life like? They're just like. I mean, I would. T- I would definitely tweet that. But but only philosophy quotes. Just philosophy. Is it like, going to be oh, as bad as uh, when NPR tweeted the? Uh, Declaration of Independence. Do you know about that? No. NPR tweeted the Declaration of Independence, word for word. And a lot of um, Trump supporters thought they were talking about Trump. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, the, like some of the lines are like, um, this prince um, who, like, I forget the exact lines. They called him like a tyrant and uh-huh. a prince of money. And so uh, some Trump supporters were like, this isn't the right time for you to be saying this kind of stuff. And like, how dare you, NPR? And uh-huh. they're just like, they're tweeting. They're just tweeting the Declaration <laughs> of Independence. Wow, that's, that's interesting because it's like really what he was saying. Like they were coming at it. They, they weren't open to hearing. Yeah. They were and, already decided the definition before they heard it. Yeah. And they would, if they would have just read it, they would have been like, oh, okay. And there was actually an interesting thing that in the 1950s during the, um, during the uh, McCarthyism, so real hot, you know, kind of like, I think it feels very similar to what we're going through now of like, you don't know what's real and what's not. And uh, this newspaper in Madison, basically the guy, um, the editor typed up the Declaration of Independence, the first 10 paragraphs. And asked people to sign it in mm-hmm. Madison. Like, will you sign this petition? Because that's what it is. And no one signed it. They were like, I'm not signing that commie propaganda. And they're like, this is the Declaration of Independence. They were wow. like, maybe the Russian Declaration of Independence. And one person <laughs> signed it. Wow. A businessman was like, he's like, yeah, I'll sign. That's the Declaration of Independence. And no one else. He asked 122 people to sign it. And 121 did not. It just shows, like, really how people are just floating around and and relying on yeah. on just society to tell them good, not good. Yeah. You know? And, and when it comes down, it really goes back to, like, what we were discussing before. It was just, like, when I didn't have opinions because I was afraid I didn't know enough. I think most people go through life, not most, I don't want to say yeah. most, but a lot of people go through life kind of, like, I'm not going to be the one to figure it out. Everyone else will figure it out and yeah. let me know what to do. It's and hard. I think I think it's uh, and it's also scary because when you do find something out, when you do the work and maybe you find something that completely changes your whole life and you realize the way you've been living has been so wrong or not wrong but just like um, not as good as it could be. Not as good as it could be. Or you, or you, because of your lazy or tired or whatever, your decision not to 
to see and then you open your eyes and you're like, oh shit, I wasted so much time. That can be really scary. Yeah. I think a lot I think a lot of uh I think a lot of people with drug addictions when they kind of come out of that, they deal with that where they're like, I wasted a lot of time of my life and then that depresses them. Yeah. Because I, I feel it, like it's yeah. I tell you're right. And and I hear this from the kids at the rehab and I I try to tell them, I'm like, in a way, you didn't waste the time but you kind of built something that nobody else has resist yeah. resistant strength. I'm like, you basic now you're stronger than everybody else because you you have to resist things that they never even tried. Yeah. And I mean I really believe it. I think like, you know, if you if if there's two people at a party and one of them's never done Coke and the other one has and then loved it, yeah. but now they're sober and Coke comes out, it's gonna be way harder for that second person. But, yeah. but that also means that person has now built up such resistance and such unbelievable um, self-control that they are now a way stronger person than the other person who's like, you know, I never had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it's, I think it's a lot of that. There, it, it, like, it's almost like everything that you've, it's not a waste because everything that you've done has brought you to this point. Yeah. You know, where that person can resist. That person has every... All of the shit they went through brought them to the point where they are at the party and they can say no to that. Yeah. Right? And I think... I just always want to make sure it's not like one of those things. Like, you know, there's this quote that drives me nuts where it's like, I'm rich in other ways. It's just another... It's just a way of making poor people not feel so bad that they're poor. (laughs) And I I had this really funny, like... Exchange. I was coming back this week from my grandfather's funeral, mm-hmm. and I was in JFK going through the security check at TSA, and I was so sad because I, I really, I'm really yeah. sad to lose my grandfather, yeah. and it was sorry. it was heavy. It was really heavy just being home and 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 him not only not being there but yeah. burying him, and just like the whole grieving process and the way people act at an, at a funeral around you. It's everything is weird, and it's just like. It's very hard to lose somebody who is so amazing in my life. Yeah. And and so like I was getting to the point where it's like, all right, start making comedy because like <laughs> to deal with it. Yeah. Because I now I like kind of go between like I used to just go right into like comedy to deal with it, comedy to deal with it. And now yeah. it's like deal with it the real way, deal with it comedy. <laughs> like yeah. balance it out, you know. Grief. Get your grief out. Yeah. I was I two weeks ago I came from my my uncle died. My great uncle. Um, Sorry. Oh, it's fine. And uh, I mean, he was like 94. It was He was old. But I had never been to the last Jewish funeral I went to. Because my, when my uncle died, he was in Israel. And it was immediate. Like, they immediately, like, take the body. It's buried. Like, yeah. So, like, my mother didn't even get to go see her brother. It was really sad. But I didn't know that, like, the 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 grieving process for Jews and how it's done of like, you know, covering the mirrors up and like the sitting in the home. And then, and then you actually physically, like I physically put dirt on the casket. Like it's so, it's just like, Oh, for me it was, it was so like, that was to me the most powerful thing. So my, I put dirt on my grandfather's grave. Like you're talking about, you shovel the dirt. And he was an artist and a sculptor. Yeah. And I sculpted with the shovel a little face out of dirt on, like where his head would be on the grave. I, yeah. don't, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but I'm like, I'm, I'm doing it because like, 
the, all the dirt was on top and it was yeah. like flat. And I'm like, I'm making a little face on top. I'll show you a picture of it. It's okay. not, it's, the features aren't there, but it's just like the shape of a face. Yeah. And I put like, when you're drawing a face, you put a line for the eyes and I line for where the nose goes yeah. and a line for the mouth. So I did that. And then like two people came and covered it with dirt a minute later. But I was like, I don't know. It was weird. But, oh, oh. So, so when I'm going through the TSA, yeah. You know, sometimes when you're really sad, the best stuff comes out. And yeah. this And this woman, um, this you know, this black lady who's checking everybody in, she's like, "Take your shoes off, take your shoes off." And then she turns to me like as an advocate. Yeah. By the way, black people always see me as an advocate, which I like. You yeah. know, they always look at me like I'm dealing with these crazy white people. Like, I think it's because <laughs> I'm fat. You know, but. They're always, they always turn to me like, yeah. can you believe this? Like, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So she, 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 she turns to me, she goes, let me tell you, if I had a dime for every person I had to tell twice to take their shoes off, I'd be rich right now. And I go, well, you're probably rich in other ways, you know? And she goes, yeah, that's true though. Lord knows that's true. I'm, I'm very rich in other ways. I got so many other things I'm rich about. You're right. I go, but. Also, everybody's rich in other ways. She's like, yeah, that's right. I guess that's true. Everybody is rich in other ways. I go, but if everybody's rich in other ways, then that levels the fe- playing field, and nobody's rich in, a- in other ways. You're just regular in other ways. Yeah. She goes, I guess you're right then. Then I'm just poor. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> nice way to build her up and then be like, but you're poor. <laughs> but that just came out of my sadness. So I was just like, oh, that's good. <laughs> We're all poor in so many ways. (laughs) I think that's a good way to look at it. Rich people never say that. Rich people are never like, ah, well, but I'm poor in other ways. Because they don't Uh, have to make themselves feel better about that. It's like, oh, I'm sad today. I'm going to go jump in a pile of money. (laughs) I think. That's what they have, They're all Scrooge McDuck. They all have piles of money. Awesome having you here. Thanks, Jenny. This is is a great philosopher. I'm actually, I'm going to keep this. Yeah, well, you can have it. um, And I'm going to start, you know, quoting this Nazi. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing the show. (laughs) See you later. Bye. All right, everybody. That's our show for today. Thank you again for tuning in. Thanks again to my guest, Jenny Zagrino. Pick up her album, which is called Jay-Z's new album at StandUpRecords.com. Don't forget to go and check out HelloFresh, HelloFresh.com, and use my promo code MDP30 for $30 off your first week of deliveries. It's so worth it. The meals are fantastic. You can't go wrong with HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com, promo code MDP30. And please, if you have a moment, it sure would be nice if some of you could go on iTunes and leave a nice comment with five stars uh, to help push the show forward. And uh, it sort of slowed down a little bit on there recently, so it would be nice to get it kick-started back up. And by the way, it means the world to me when I get those nice comments on there. And I was talking to my wife, Kylie, and uh, I was telling her, you know, some people have so much success in this and it's never enough for them and they're never happy. And I never understand how they cannot appreciate the success. And she said, do you appreciate the success you've had in your career? And I said, of course. And she goes, how do you appreciate it? Like, what's an example? And I said, anytime I see somebody leaves a nice comment on that iTunes, with the five stars, it warms my heart like you can't believe. Like if I if I was getting some big gigs or some adoration or adulations of some sort, I'm sure that I would be 
incredibly grateful and appreciative just because just those comments on iTunes fuel me through the month, through the week, and through the year. So if you get a chance, do one of those. And equally so, when people email me at thecomical at yahoo.com to tell me what they think of the episode or what they think of past episodes or how they found the show or if they're enjoying the show or tell me about their lives, I love hearing from you. It really is my great payment in life for what I do. So please be in touch. I'm at Danny Lobel on Twitter. The website is moderndayphilosophers.net. You can always make a donation there. And to stress one more time, please leave five stars and a nice comment on iTunes. I love you all, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.